you're listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom in Santa Fe. Soul Searching is a journey where I engage with an array of thinkers, from faith leaders to academics to artists, to explore deep questions of meaning, questions that all of us ask at some point in our lives, such as why are we here? What is right and wrong? Is there good and evil? Is truth relative or absolute? Is there life after death? And to help us in our journey this evening, we're very honoured to welcome Matthew Kozan-Palevsky, visiting teacher at Upaya Zen Centre, where he formerly served as president and resident practice director. Matthew, welcome. Thanks for having me, Rabbi Neil. Of course. So you mentioned before the show that you had recently just finished uh, a month-long period of intensive practice at Upaya. Was that through October? Yeah, that's right. It's the whole month. So, so now, that, now that that is over, um, this practice of, 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 of you were looking at a Buddhist text called the Diamond Sutra as your focus – yeah, the Diamond Sutra, which is kind of this initial text that represents a reformation in Buddhism around the first century, where um, the focus moves from attaining enlightenment to uh, free ourselves from the cycle of suffering, birth, and rebirth, uh, toward this um, path of service that we call the Bodhisattva path, uh, kind of being in the world to help others. And this text, which is actually kind of an esoteric text, it's not the easiest text to dig into, was a, a, the earliest version in a way of describing a viewpoint and a way of being, a way of practicing Buddhism that was about serving others. And at the heart of it is um, being able to rest in not knowing and not being attached to things, in not having the answers. And the kind of short term we use for that is emptiness or sometimes because that can have a negative connotation and empty, nothing's there. It can mm-hmm. seem like nihilism to people. We'll call it boundlessness or simply suchness, just immediate uh, being. Such, uh, suchness, is a, that's a very interesting term. Yeah. <laughs> that's very, so if you are serving others mm-hmm. but living in a, a place of not knowing – Mm. How do you know you're doing the right thing? Yeah, you don't. Um, There's not a certainty. And so actually throughout the sutra, uh, it's this conversation the Buddha has with one of his disciples named Subhuti. And Subhuti supposedly really understands emptiness, but kind of is missing a point. And the point he's missing is that emptiness is also empty of emptiness. That if we turn kind of non-attachment into just another thing to attain, it just becomes another thing. That you can attach yourself to. That you can be attached to, that you can create as a goal, an endpoint. And um, he says throughout the Sutra, the Buddha, uh, he's describing this path as the path of fearless bodhisattvas. And he never describes why fearless. But you kind of read into it that you have to have the courage to be wrong, that there's no right if you're letting go of attachment to uh, knowledge to systems to the structures that we set up, and so yeah, you have to be um, willing to let go of that too. But if there's no necessary right or wrong, 
Yeah. Can't we do whatever we want and say, this is my, this is my suchness. Yeah. This is who I am. I go around and I steal because they don't need to be attached to those things. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm taking this no, at extremists, but, but isn't there a, a difficulty here in terms of what, I guess, in terms of relative morals? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that is um, kind of one of the pitfalls. There's these two ways we can veer off the road when we're thinking of this. Not so, again, not so kind of accessible notion. In fact, uh, Subhuti kind of was one of the few disciples of the Buddha who had some understanding of emptiness. The Buddha himself said, most of you aren't going to get this. And that's kind of okay. Um, but one way we can veer off is into nihilism is into nothing matters. There really is nothing. There's no right. There's no wrong. And um, that is setting up actually another uh, truth. There's nothing. And that is part of the waking up to, well, that's another viewpoint that I'm going to be attached to. And so because we can fall into that viewpoint, it's embedded in a practice of ethics. And that practice of ethics is called sila or kind of these precepts that the practice of Buddhism is um, contained within. Um, but that's kind of the relic. We, we often talk about a relative point of view and an absolute point of view. Mm-hmm. And from the absolute perspective, um, that fear is um, a kind of another fear of things going wrong. Really, the fearlessness of the bodhisattva is believing in our uh, basic goodness and believing in the knowledge that comes from direct experience, that there's a way of knowing that is not our usual way of knowing, that is not, uh, you can't give someone a diploma for it. Right. And that in that direct experience is a... um, direct understanding of what to do to serve in that situation. Um, The idea of the knowledge of direct experience is challenging for me because Heisenberg's uncertainty principle, which I had a conversation about with someone yesterday, Uh says as soon as you observe something, you change it. Mm -hmm. That there is no outside in some sense. There Mm -hmm. is no other because Mm -hmm. as soon as we observe something, it sets up a relationship with us. Mm -hmm. Therefore, isn't all direct experience tainted, biased, however guided, however you want to see it, mm. by ourselves anyway? Mm-hmm. So is, is there even such a thing as direct experience of the other? Well, so uh, Buddhism has a nice, Zen in particular, has a nice um, way out of that dilemma. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and the way out is really central in this uh, Diamond Sutra, which is that we're letting go of a sense of self, too. Okay. That this separate individual self that is uh, observing an object that is another is necessarily dualistic. There's a self, there's an other, there's a good, there's a bad, there's all these dualisms that it creates. And uh, when we can drop a kind of insistence or attachment to there being a self here, uh, we're no longer reaching out to um, have dominion over the world through our knowledge or through our power. 
we're allowing the world to kind of wash over us. And in that experience, to be penetrated to the, by the world, uh, we can have an experience that's not uh, dependent on a subject and an object. Uh, that, that's kind of the, the essence of direct experience. That's the embodiment of the practice, suchness, right? It's just as it is. So this is moving away from a dualism so that there isn't a hierarchy of being almost? So because if I say I'm observing a frog, then I naturally assume I am the one observing. I am higher mm-hmm. than and so mm-hmm. on. So is this, mm-hmm. is this moving away from hierarchy in some sense? It it's definitely moves away from hierarchy. I think it also moves away from um, a sense of separation. So, mm. you know, we, we see this in science. I mean, we can start there. Uh, what we know is quite suspect. So our knowledge, we're, we're realizing more and more. Our memories are memories of memories and memories and memories. Uh, we're always actually making it up in the moment. Uh, I think Tversky and uh, Daniel Kahneman, the kind of founders of this whole science of how we trick ourselves, how we uh, don't really... Um, understand the world as it is, but understand a kind of picture of it that isn't mm-hmm. quite the world. Um, we're constantly creating a self by trying to have um, objective, steady, kind of inherently real things that we believe in. Right. So we can say if, we, if science is pointing to there not actually being those things, it might help us to drop this notion that uh, I am definitely here and I can point to me somewhere. There's an essential me somewhere here. Maybe it's not my toe and maybe it's not my anger, but maybe my compassion is my essential self. And, and that thing will always be observing the world. So the letting, of that, um, the, the letting go of that essential self opens us up to, as you say, an understanding of the world that's non-hierarchical and also an understanding of the world that's um, only in this moment, that drops uh, all the ways that we try and capture this moment and save it for later. So, uh, you know, this isn't the easiest subject, and often (laughs) we're talking about kind of uh, enlightenment is empty and the self is empty and these pretty um, things that are quite dear to us. So it can be useful to just apply the kind of doctrine of emptiness to something anodyne, something simple, like a tree. So we would say the kind of refrain in this sutra, the Diamond Sutra, is uh, there is X, there is no X, and thus we call it X. So there's a tree, the tree is no tree, thus we call it a tree. And what we mean by that is uh, my understanding of the tree is a symbol for that tree. And I can't really point to where the tree starts and stops. Uh, if there's moss on the tree, does the moss count as the tree? Am I counting all the roots that I can't see as the tree? What about the light that lets me observe the tree or all the air in between or the gravity? Where does the tree start? Where does it stop? And a bird's going to have a different Mm -hmm. perspective of it. A gopher who may only be hanging out with its roots will have a different perspective of it. And as much as we try, and there's these wonderful... Uh, Buddhist texts that are actually quite long and exhausting (laughs) that try in every possible way you could imagine to point to where the tree is, we notice there's actually no tree we can point to. It's just uh, a concept. And so we say there's no tree there. 
Um, and then this kind of ultimate way, there's nothing there but, but perception, but experience. And then finally, the end of that, just the end of that equation is, okay, but we call it a tree. Right. But it's, it's useful. It's a tool. Right. And at the same time, we can say there's no tree there because we don't necessarily know its boundaries. But if yeah. you keep walking towards it, you're going to hit it. Yeah, so, you'll hit something. Right. So there is definitely tree-ness of some sort, just how we define it. You know, it's not necessarily, as you were saying, it doesn't have to be a physical could be, as you mentioned, gravity, you know, its gravitational influence continues out, even if it's minuscule and, and so on. Well, I would actually say, you know, treeness is, is tricky because it points a little bit back to Plato and this notion that there's an uh, ideal right. something. Right, um, Is it a tree or is it is a bush? It, or is it, yeah, yeah, right. and, but there's something there. And, and I would say, well, what happens is eventually we feel pain on our forehead yes. and we smell maybe the bark. And if we don't give any of it any names, uh, we're not perceiving something that's out there that we're giving an object to or a name to. Uh, and there's an experience that is unmediated. Right. This is wonderful. We're going to take a quick break um, and we're going to come back and talk more about the Diamond Sutra and particularly about this path of service, mm. uh, which I really want to explore. Mm. So we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom. My guest this evening, Matthew Kozampalevsky, visiting teacher at Upaya Zen Center, where he formerly served as president and resident practice director. We'll be back after this break. You're back listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom. My guest this evening, Matthew Kozampalevsky, visiting teacher at Upaya Zen Center. And we're having an extraordinary conversation um, based from your month-long study of the Diamond Sutra. You, you mentioned earlier on, in, uh, right at the beginning of our conversation, about how for you the, this had moved on from attaining enlightenment to a path of service. Mm -hmm. And there's a follow-up question, I guess, for me, based on something you said about letting go of the future and the past and just living in the present, which is how can we serve if we're not considering the future? Mm -hmm. um, because if I'm feeding the poor, for example, mm -hmm. and I'm preparing the food, I'm still living in the future because I'm going to be doing this thing which helps these people and so on. How do, how do, those, how do those come together? Is it a difference between not acknowledging the future and not living in the future, which is what people often do? Mm -hmm. uh, what is it for you? Well, the path of the bodhisattva that we were talking about, uh, the kind of viewpoint is one that doesn't start with ends. So I think you're right in that way, in that um, there's not an ideal world that we're trying to get to. Ah. Um, the real starting point is the means, the intention uh, of each moment, and the way in which we show up. So, you know, emptiness may be a kind of central viewpoint in Zen, but the central practice is, is intimacy, is showing up to our lives, showing up to each other. And one thing that this kind of emptiness perspective uh, allows is for us to drop our notion of how things have to be, mm -hmm. drop our certainty of how things are uh, and how we are, and to step into each moment, into each day with open hands, willing to meet life, willing to meet each other. And 
in a kind of grand sense, this um, has implications for generosity. So we say mm-hmm. from the from the ultimate perspective, there's no um, giver. There's no self. So who, who's giving anything? And since we don't really own anything, since nothing's really ours, uh, including this body, there's no gift. What could we possibly give? The whole world is its own. Right. And thus there's no receiver. If there's no giver, there's no gift. There's no receiver. Um, So to be generous, to practice generosity in the world and to practice service is a matter of showing up wholeheartedly to give oneself, to give the presence of each moment. And again, as you mentioned at the beginning of the show, there's like a natural question that arises. Like, well, that could go anywhere. That right. could go See, disastrous. I'm, I'm hearing directions. that and thinking, but if there is no self, why can't I just lie in bed? You know, why can't, why can't I do nothing? Why, why should, where's the compulsion? Mm. And I understand what you're saying about the, the intimacy, mm-hmm. but then that's always going to be limited in terms of our interaction anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, I could stand on the street and start hugging everyone I want to see. It wouldn't go down well, I don't think. Yeah. But 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 we naturally limit our intimacy anyway, don't we? I, I, it's almost sounding like not self-denial almost, but what I mean is um, my needs are irrelevant. Let me just... Let, let me just either sit in bed or just be totally intimate and present with everyone and everything. Like, hello, blade of grass, which, which I'm not mocking. I, I understand. Yeah, I hear you. Um, I just I, I can't see how do we how do you make decisions in that paradigm? So hello, blade of grass is a great way of being in the world. Right. Uh, and it won't kind of pay our taxes. Right. And uh we have to get up and, you know, feed the dog or whatever. Um, dogs are on my mind. I just got a little puppy. So oh, that's kind right. of the only example I can think of right, right. now. Um, and that way of being in the world uh, is important because we, we would like to negate it. We'd like to think, well, that's just uh, kind of rainbows in the sky. And the invitation is not to negate kind of being intimate with all things, including the blade of grass. But it's also not to think that that's kind of the end goal. Like we just live from that expansive oneness. We also live from the very practical experience of being in relation, using words that fail us. And, you know, I think the... um, important thing is that we're touched by our own humanity Mm. and by the humanity of others. We often talk about suffering in Buddhism. Uh, We get a bad rap for that. (laughs) Uh, But when we're aware of the suffering in the world, we actually can't help but be of service in a practical, useful way. It's um, not something we have to think about. We say it's like reaching for a pillow in the middle of the night. It's just the way we are. And so we but show it, up in is that it way. though? I mean, <laughs> when, when we, I, it's, I would say it's the way we should be. Mm-hmm. But reaching for a pillow is a nice continuation of, you know, the alarms ringing. I've got a world to save or I'll just sleep in. Uh-huh. You know, ultimately, we are still so vested in ourselves yeah. that we um, – that, that – 
there's there's a limit and, and certainly when we're helping others there's usually something that we get back in return yeah um not much of um positive social justice not much of that doesn't have an altruistic component to right. it is that i mean it seems like it's almost suffering to be aware of suffering and then i i'm not sure i'm not a buddhist but but like we have to suffer it's, it sounds to me like what you're saying is we have to suffer to not be we have to suffer to be selves in a world where we have to pay taxes <laughs> Well, I don't think Buddhism would say we have to suffer. Okay. Uh, right. We are currently we suffering are currently and we suffering. want to transcend, we want to move beyond it. We, and and uh, that suffering may not be kind of pain and agony. Right, right. But the very simple notion that we crave things we don't have. Sure. We don't want things we currently have. We naturally kind of fall into patterns of what we'd call afflictions like greed, like anger, or just confusion about the world. And uh, in a way, this is kind of what uh, rep- how repentance comes up in Zen, in that we're constantly, um, each morning actually during this practice period, we chant this verse of atonement, and we're just reminding us, uh, we're reminding ourselves that we are fallible. And we're pointing ourselves towards being whole, towards ending the patterns, the habits of um, causing suffering to ourselves and others that we naturally have. And so there's, uh, we, we kind of don't have to work very hard right. to see that. Right. And there's the natural reaction to it. Now, that's one way to see it, and that may kind of be part of the absolute perspective. Another core ingredient um, to all of this, and I think this is true of all of our world religions is that community is indispensable. Right. We don't practice alone. We right. practice in community. And we hold each other accountable. And we notice when a way we're being is hurting other people, people often tell us when kind of a thought we have that nothing exists and so we can just sleep all day or uh-huh, we can just uh-huh. treat everyone horribly, uh, they're going to tell us that's not going to work for them. Uh, and it's probably not going to work for us in the long run. And so the, where the, mu- the rubber meets the road in our practice is in what we call sangha and community, right. where we actually show up to living it, not just thinking about it. Earlier on, you mentioned basic goodness of people, mm. um, which I had to come back to, especially since you're talking about repentance and atonement, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and especially since we've we've gone on to this topic of, well, why not just lie in bed? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and you were clearly emanating this need to help others and to be present and intimate, which, which suggests a basic underlying goodness of mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. But do you really believe all people are, are basically good? Hmm. You know, I think if we... Uh, kind of pull away layer by layer the things that get um, between us and each other Mm -hmm. or between us and experience. Uh, When we show up to the present moment, there's not uh, a sense of evil or good. There's a sense of uh, openness, I would say, 
of kind of reflexive um, welcoming of what comes, that we, uh, like the whole world has this quality of being just as it is. And this worry that um, we might be evil if we just let go of everything is kind of funny, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, where's the evil? Um, where's this extreme thing that wants to destroy? Do I think people have anger? Yeah. Um, do they have uh, generosity? Yeah. And everything in between. Uh, and we kind of can't get rid of any of that. So we practice being with it just as it is and not turning it into a boogeyman. I mean, it's interesting. I was wondering if you were heading towards the idea that anger is is more about the self than anything else. Mm. Um, that that when we get jealous, when we get angry, when we get whatever it is that are often seen as negative emotions, mm-hmm. they're very often attached to our own selfhood. But that's not where you headed, which is interesting for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if there is, you know, sometimes nature... It can be violent and cruel, as we would say, by an absolute standard, but it is what it is. So it sounds like what you're saying is that that if we have anger, it's not necessarily the suffering that's been put on us by society or by our structures, but Mm -hmm. is just that is who we are. Is that is that where you are? Well, again, um, there's no how it is who we are. There's no how we are. Right. So if we have anger, we have anger. And if we have joy, we have joy. And the wonderful practice of Zen meditation, so we say Zazen, is attending to how fleeting these things are. Right. Uh, Rather than the kind of heroic journey of good overcoming evil that are these kind of forces that exist in the world, we notice that when we get angry, we can be angry all day or all week if we want to retell the story that made us angry to ourselves. Or we can drop the story and notice our breath and be aware that anger passes. And maybe it comes back a few moments later. But there's no there there. There's no Mm. I am an angry person. Right. Uh, Because the notion that I am a certain way isn't one we engage in. And so therefore, all these emotions are just that which is as a result of our bodies, as a result of our interactions. You know, sometimes we could be a calm sea, sometimes we can be an angry wave. Absolutely. Yeah. And we're, um, we can see them kind of as weather or as phenomena. You know, in, in Buddhism, there's six senses. So there's the five senses we know of. And the sixth sense is thought uh, or the mind. And Thought, just like when our eyes are open, we're constantly seeing shapes and colors and things we have names for. Just like when we're awake, our thought uh, is constantly generating. Right. It's constantly arising. <sighs> and, you know, what I see sitting in this room is not mine. I don't – this isn't my vision. This isn't my room. Same way the thoughts aren't my thoughts. These are – Thoughts that arise from the context of, as you say, having a body, having sensation, being in relation. Um, You know, in neuroscience, there's a story of um, two kind of famous neuroscientists in the 70s talking about the mind. And I'm actually, I think it was Bertrand Russell and Salk. And 
uh, Salk says, uh, Bertrand Russell asks Salk, where is the mind? Mm-hmm. And Salk points to his head between his two ears. And um, Russell uh, says, uh, no, it's between us. He points right between them. That this whole experience is the mind. And if we don't attach a kind of I-ness, it's all mind to it, mm-hmm. there's a whole different perspective. That is a wonderful way to wrap up this conversation. Um, I've really enjoyed this. This has been absolutely enlightening for me. Um, I really do hope that you come back and um, that we can continue to talk more. Me too. Thanks for having me. So thank you to Matthew Kozampalewski, visiting teacher at Upaya Zen Center. Really has been fascinating having you here. You've been listening to Soul Searching with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom and from the Interfaith Leadership Alliance of Santa Fe. And until we return again in two weeks' time, keep searching.